Hello, beautiful alchemist. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda, and this is our final episode of 2022. And I am very excited that we are ending off um, this season of Reiki Radio with focus on Reiki itself. I thoroughly enjoy the opportunity to have so many discussions within the realm of spirituality and that we all get to gather this way to learn, to grow, to exchange, to share these beautiful stories. And, you know, during the pandemic, there was a period of time where I didn't podcast. I took quite a bit of a break. And then um, right after that, I had the opportunity to host the Reiki Rays Global Healing Summit, which was amazing. But of course, doing all of those interviews, I still couldn't come back to Reiki Radio. So I'm so thankful for season nine. We got to have some beautiful discussions, again, learning from some beautiful healers and teachers and authors. And I hope that you have enjoyed this journey. So today for the final episode, we're actually going to have a conversation with Bruce Taylor, who is a Reiki and wellness teacher that I um, was able to interview during the summit. And the conversation we had today was prompted by an upcoming pilgrimage to Kyoto, Japan, which will happen in May of 2023. So Bruce Taylor and his teacher, Inamoto Sensei, who I also interviewed in the summit, they will be hosting a retreat to Kyoto, Japan, May 1st through 7th. And we will talk about that, um, giving you more details. However, we have um, an in-depth conversation about the journey throughout the practice of Reiki overall. And I really have enjoyed these conversations with Bruce because as you will find, um, the practice of Reiki and meditation and other systems as well has uh, been a beautiful gift in expanding both of us in consciousness, on our journeys, on our paths. And I'm, I'm sure that you will relate to so much of what he shares and what comes up in the discussion. And it may even help to clarify for you um, what the process is like going deeper into your practice, because there are some elements that we experience through the application of Reiki techniques or techniques within the system of Reiki um, that aren't necessarily covered in class or you won't necessarily fully um, hear about in any book. But again, we gather this way to have these conversations so that we all gain deeper understanding and insight. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation. Um, his point of focus, especially for the retreat um, or the journey to Japan, is to uh, point the arrow at the legacy of Yasui Sensei. So whether you're already a practitioner of Reiki or just curious, again, I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation. I will see you on the other side. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Reiki Radio. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with a new friend of mine, Bruce Taylor. Bruce is a Reiki master teacher and if you were part of the Reiki Race Healing Summit, you would have seen our conversation there together. 
as well as the interview with Bruce's teacher, um, Inamoto Sensei. So I want to thank you, Bruce, for coming to talk with all of us today. And I'm excited about our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful to be here and to talk with you again, Yolanda. And I'm very excited about this, indeed. Thanks yeah. for having me. Oh, no, it's always a pleasure. I mean, our conversation last time was um, such a joy. And afterward, I was thinking, wow, I could have asked him so many things. But we are going to talk today a bit about searching for the legacy of Yusui Sensei and an upcoming trip to Japan, which will be in 2023. So Mm. before we get into that, though, um, for people who may not know your personal background and how you came into connection with Reiki itself. Could you give us a little bit about how you went from teaching even <laughs> and coming into this particular spiritual practice? Yeah, indeed. Um, you know, so there's a, people can watch this recorded as well, right on my site at rootsoflife.org. Um, but I'll give that similar story here. Reiki has always been, or what I, what you and I and all the listeners now know to be Reiki, that thing has always been with me. I've got a very sensitive connection to my body, right? For better or worse, mind you, <laughs> it's not, it's not always rosy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember as a little boy, I could, I, there was this thing that I could feel. And I remember it would, I could make my knees just by putting my hands on my knees and just focusing on them, I could make them feel really good. Um, and I didn't know what it was. And I just would say like, yeah, it just tickles. It feels amazing. You know, I, I didn't know what that was. Um, but then of course, why wouldn't I stay with that? And so I kept trying to explore it and, you know, I know that it, to feel it, I would need to be quiet. So I'd have to sit and kind of do what I now know is like seated meditation Um, and that just continued to build and it brought me into a lot of different, uh, you know, kind of holistic and spiritual tangents like yoga and mindfulness and spirituality and all that type of stuff. Um, and my main hat, my main archetype, if you, if you will, is a teacher. Um, my secondary archetype I think is, is a healer and, or, you know, so, so the main thing that I was always kind of drawn to was to teach. Um, And that brought me into secondary education, uh, focusing on astronomy, physical sciences and human sciences like economics and philosophy and so on. And, you know, the abridged version of it is that got me to Hong Kong teaching. I was teaching outside of Chicago. I'm from the south side of the city. And uh, yeah, I ended up somehow through a long convoluted journey. I got to Hong Kong. And there, the, the teaching environment started to get really stressful. And this is why I'm saying the, the sensitivity to my body is a blessing and a curse, right? There was a lot of stress with a lot of pressure with teaching, um, beautiful kids, but a pressure cooker environment. And my health started to suffer. You know, I started to get like high blood pressure, I started to put on a lot of weight, a lot of stress, you know, really just not in good shape. And thankfully, that sensitivity kept kind of urging me, like, I've got to go check something out. I've got to check something out. Mm -hmm. And the straw that broke the back was a diagnosis of testicular cancer um, from all the stress and from all of the, you know, the turmoil and everything. And that was the blessing of being able to feel like the, the subtlety of that energy inside, right? Right. The difficulty of it, it was all the health anxiety that came with and 
you know, trying to just let all of that turmoil get out of the body. Um, but luckily Reiki was there, right? Reiki was a practice that has always been there. I'm sure it's resonating with a lot of our listeners here that it's a practice we've always had. So I made the decision to kind of, you know, break the chains to my teaching career and become a different type of a teacher. I went back to the practices that I've always been, you know, working with and started to study in earnest uh, and, and really dive into Reiki full on. Um, in Hong Kong, I was very fortunate to be one of the city's first Reiki healers working at a traditional Chinese medicine clinic. Um, and so that was kind of like a, <laughs> kind of like a trial by fire, right? I mean, I'm sitting there in a city where everybody knows or is the, the language is of chi, like Chinese right. medicine right. is about chi, right? People move energy. They drink herb, herbal tea all day long. They walk on stones to massage their meridians. Like they get this. And so here comes this Westerner who's going to work at a Chinese clinic and be this Reiki healer. And yeah, it was a, it was a difficult <laughs> interview process, but I, I made it through and, and it was a beautiful career. And I'm very happy. I'll be back there actually in a month. Um, at the end of January, 2023, to be alongside the doctors and working with energy and being in that space and, and allowed the, the teacher hat uh, to really flourish as well, because I got to see an entire side of Reiki um, that might have been pretty difficult to access, right, to be honest, from the West. Uh, and then that was further complemented by going to Japan and going to the roots. And like you mentioned at the beginning, my teacher, my most recent teacher is Hakutan Inamoto of Komyo Reikido in Kyoto. So I've spent, you know, numbers of, of journeys up to see him and time just with him working on the practice and working on deepening the roots and letting go of the attachments and the story and really just building uh, my connection to myself really, right? The, which is Reiki. So, you know, that's kind of the abbreviated journey. And now here I am talking with you and post Reiki Ray Summit and here we are. <laughs> well, I'm always amazed. I love hearing people's stories because it's interesting. I think when we are on our journeys, they feel so very personal to us. But I mean, the gift really is that and everything that you've experienced. Now as having this conversation, we all get to learn through the experience mm. that seemed to be so much your own, you know, I mean, even just from what you just shared, I'm like, Oh, I have to ask him this, I have to ask him this. So there's a couple of questions that just came up one with that sensitivity and your relationship to body, because I think, you know, um, just how we've been conditioned in a lot of ways to not pay attention to ourselves. A lot of people may have sensitivity to energy and just be either annoyed or afraid of it because they, they don't quite understand the relationship, but they don't give the time and attention to understand it. Mm -hmm. So you had this awareness of, this relationship to body, paying attention to how the body was talking to you, but then that element of mind that came in. So when you started thinking about like, oh, being worried about health and this and that, because of even what you were sensing, can you talk a little bit about how you nurture that relationship between mind and body? And did you start to recognize, you know, the importance of like, oh, well, now I have to focus on what my stories are and how that is also impacting the body, which all in a lot of ways points to Reiki, right? What we right. learn in the practices, yeah. Indeed, indeed. You know, and, and I 
I, it made me smile when you said that, like to, to recognize all my stories because I've got a lot of stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, and I know we all do. Right. Yes, and yeah. that's the, I, I don't, I, I don't really know how to answer that beyond, of course, anything that's just on my personal journey. Right. And, and I think what that personal journey has, uh, has allowed me to understand was if I take the health complications that I've been through, that's kind of akin to like climbing a mountain or, you know, walking through the fire or whatever, you know, it's not easy. Um, but then arriving on the other side of it, in many ways, it's, it's the polar opposite, but it's still not easy, right? Because then I, I feel like here I am now faced with the task, the infinitely difficult task of letting go of my stories. Yeah. Right. And we find comfort in the attachment. We find, I mean, we, we are dualistic, but we're beings of form, right? I mean, we have a body that is, is dense, right? We, we live in a world of duality, night and day, male and female. I mean, that's all it is, is duality. So how do we, try to cultivate peace non-dualistic peace well that's to me that's even in some ways more difficult than walking through the attachments mm -hmm. right so that's why i'm laughing at that because it's like well i don't even know if this this is probably just going to make even more make, make it even more confusing i don't know but you know what i mean it's like well, you get I on the other it, side and it's unwind yeah yeah but it's so relatable because i mean i think you know that's one of the biggest challenges for all of us like we have this and especially when we come into these practices whether it be meditation reiki other um, systems that people may practice we do all of a sudden become hyper aware of our bodies and our thought forms and how we are emotionally we just become so aware of ourselves and at times that can be a bit overwhelming and even mm -hmm. annoying but it, it does, it makes us really aware of our stories too. And there is that challenge of like, wow, like, yeah, I'm attached to this or that. Um, but one of the things I think is interesting in observing it all is looking back at the proof, right? So I'm sure like even in that journey that you went through with um, your journey to wellness at that time, like if you look back hindsight, you probably recognize like there were certain points of like, oh, when I did use my breath or when I did focus on meditation, these things that made my body feel like I was allowing healing to happen. Right. So it's almost like we get these these clues that point to even though it's difficult to let go, here's the benefit or the effect of it. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. But that's it's really interesting. And now you're on the other side and still. <laughs> having to work through the layers yeah I don't know it's just interesting yeah I I, I think what I, I think a, a good way to put it is that I'm on the other side of potentially one mountain right only to recognize that the the mountain range just continues continues <laughs> <forever>. yes <laughs> right um yeah. yeah and you know I don't know like is that a is that a daunting thing I mean yeah you know, when I was younger, teenagers don't want to recognize the mountain. Like, who cares? You know, there's more right. important things, bigger fish to fry at the time. Like, and for people who at some point we all face it at some point, we all climb that. And I, I like what you said, like the, 
if we look back on our journey, we can see the little hints or the little like breadcrumbs that our future self is leaving for us to keep our, our path kind of uh, not consistent because we can break, we can take breaks whenever we want, but to, to at least remind us that the path is always there and it's up to us to walk it, but there's no way to get off of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. And now this is a little kind of left field, but I'm just curious because you mentioned this too. So, um, you know, somewhere in your journey, you also have the study of astronomy. And mm -hmm. I don't know when you said that, it just reminded me again of like body and our relationship to universe, our relationship to um, non-duality and just one with all there is. I wonder if your um, study and understanding of astronomy and even everything that you may have taught prior, do you see how that even somehow points to or overlaps with some of these teachings that we consider to be um, more esoteric or spiritual or however we label them? Absolutely. Um, you know, one thing that that I'm always that I'm always kind of finding comfort in, and you know, when there's a starry sky, I look up and it and it feels like home because we're from the stars. Yes. Right. I mean, literally the iron that is in your blood and, and every literal thing that we have contact with on the earth was at one point formed or manipulated by the byproducts of the death of a star. Right. So to me, that's really beautiful because we've just been recycled endlessly through this entire universe. Right. Yeah. Now, the, the astronomer in me that I do, I have a background in, I've got a degree in it and stuff. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because in the metaphysical space, there's quite often a lot of discussion about quantum physics. Right. <laughs> and I don't understand quantum physics. Mm -hmm. So it's a very difficult topic. So I'm sensitive to put that out there. But the quantum state is very interesting because it suggests that we can be two things at the same time, right. like a zero or a one right? Like in a binary quantum binary, state. Right. Um, this would suggest that we could also be form and formless, like a wave, like, like a, a photon of light is both a particle and a wave, right? So it both has a form, but that form has nothing in it. Like it has no mass, right? So there's this really beautiful, precarious line between duality. It's like Metaphysically speaking, to me, it's like the line that, that is the central point between yin and yang. It's like mm -hmm. the, the balance. It's like the, the idea of the moment. I mean, there's a lot of abstract things I'm saying here, but it's like that very precise balance between yin and yang where everything is perfectly stable. It's yeah. like a photon or a wave, right? It can be either one depending on a circumstance, right? And so I think all of that is it's very beautiful. And it really has i mean it's got i think more than we can talk about in one podcast yeah, but it's got yeah. so much beauty and, and a profound space to help us settle i think into our reiki practice to surrender into it yes you know you remind me of um the whole idea of non-duality and of itself i mean it can send us through this rabbit hole of endless thought and possibility and question and you know, um, of course, when we do certain practices and in, you know, meditations, it's like sometimes we get a glimpse or a hint or where you just feel like you had at least a moment of just that, like nothing and all things at once. But 
it also makes me appreciate the realm of duality in some way. Cause I always think of it as like, it's this extreme uh, space of being able to learn about the polarity or learn about, you know, one end of the spectrum to the next. Like we really get to immerse in those um, opposing everything, everything, even mm -hmm. of our own nature. But then the beauty of trying to understand, well, how does it all find its middle way? How does it all really come together? Where is that zero point where there really is no difference and there is no duality? It's fascinating. I, I won't say any more because me and you would go down an entire rabbit hole. I know and we'd go <laughs> yeah. from what we I want to talk we about indeed. today. Yes, we would. But I do want to ask you about one more thing you mentioned before we go on um, to talk about more about uh, Reiki and the journey that is coming up. When you were speaking about working in Hong Kong and practicing Reiki, and even in that culture, there being some understanding of chi and the practices may have some similarities, but also some differences. I just wonder in that experience, did you have an opportunity to learn about um, those specific teachings as it comes to energy medicine or even our functionality? And again, seeing where it may have mirrored with Reiki or did it just help you understand Reiki in a more expanded way? Yeah, I think that the um, the the biggest kind of eye opener for me was, I mean, like I, I'm very I was familiar. I've you know been kind of exposed to Chinese medicine even in the states. I've got friends that are qigong instructors and Chinese medicine practitioners and stuff. I kind of grew up with them and things like that. But it was never part of like my sphere of influence. Right. Really, it was always kind of a satellite influence to me. But it was familiar, anyways. But when I started to be surrounded by that and, and actually employed in that sphere directly in the center of it, then it was it was quite clear quite quickly how the conversation was the exact same thing, right? Like you can use the needles or the cupping or the herbs or the all of the different treatments that we have in or that you know Chinese doctors have and TCM or traditional Chinese medicine doctors and anyway, practitioners employ to facilitate the movement of qi, right? A Reiki is a very similar idea, at least to me, when we place our hands on the body or when we get still enough that we can just become aware of a part of the body with our mind, then in many ways, we're doing a similar function as are the needles or something in Chinese medicine. We're working to perhaps isolate and or become aware of resistance in the body. That might be a trauma. It might be a belief. It might be a physical pain, whatever it is. If we streamline down the body to get to that thing and then let it soften, let the muscle release or let the trauma, the memory dissipate, let our attachment to the past go, then that resistance will alleviate itself. And once it alleviates, then that meridian can be opened up, right? It can, it can flow as it's supposed to. And when I started to see it like this and then practice you know, with the kind of the overlay of the meridian system and like the Chinese medicine teaching and stuff, those things, because of my body sensitivity, those really became clear, as clear as day to me. Like I could practice Reiki and I didn't know these things, Yolanda, like I, I'm not trained in Chinese medicine. And I would go to the doctors and I would say in my practice last night, I could feel like all these points and I would point to them on my body. And they're like, that's literally the, the gallbladder meridian or whatever. 
you can, it exists. And this is how people mapped it out, you know, thousands of years ago. Like right. people just right. go into practice and experiment and take the data that comes back. And that's how we figured it out, right? Isn't so, that fascinating? Gosh, it's yeah. incredible. It's incredible. And so they really did overlay themselves really beautifully to see, because I think Reiki can be talked about in many ways so esoterically and so um, mysteriously or uh, mm -hmm. metaphorically even, right? Like it's just something that we just place our hands and in the West, there's a lot of doing, there's a lot of belief about I'm going to heal this and move that and open all these things and whatever. And that's all the mind. And if the mind is busy, then we can't actually practice Reiki, right? Mm -hmm. So like in acupuncture, you're in a very relaxed, hopefully, environment. You're on a nice heated table. You're in a dimly lit room. You've got needles that don't hurt, or they shouldn't really anyways. Right. And it's deeply relaxing. Your mind, if anybody's had acupuncture, you know what I'm saying? Your mind is usually quiet. Yes. And when it's quiet, then that meridian can flow because you're not attached to the story that's trapping the meridian and keeping it closed. Right? Yeah. So, it's yeah. two things like as you say this because I'm very visual so in my mind it's like I'm seeing your words become a documentary <laughs> of energy medicine where people could literally see this and really hone in and get it but I I really love to um and I think this is why I I love these conversations and even studying different um philosophies and practices because I think about when there was a time, and I mean, we still do it now, but it seems like maybe it was more acceptable at a time to explore possibility and write it down. And it can become um, what we understand is true through our direct experience. Whereas mm -hmm. now there's more of like this hard line of like, well, if it's proven by science, then we can accept it as true. But it seemed to be, there must have, you know, at that time, anything that you personally recognized or realized that is what became understood as like yes it's true I mean this is what we're experiencing this is what we're noticing and it's fascinating that even all of these years later we're circling back to trying to have this like basic so to speak understanding of our functionality and mm -hmm. our overall wellness mm -hmm. absolutely it's amazing to me but I think that's what's happening too um even in having a conversation with you before and um, having some <laughs> some contact with your work, it excites me that people are still exploring in that open-mindedness as it comes to Reiki. Because even to your point, like in the, a lot of the Western understanding, what's been passed down, and even now with social media, so many different ideas and thoughts um, come up around what the technique is, what it isn't, what just all of the things that we can get lost in it but it seems like in these recent years it's coming back around to highlighting what you recognize in your direct experience that's even beyond the book and coming back to focus on mind coming back mm -hmm. to relationship with mind and body it's it's a beautiful thing so from when you first learned till where you are now are there any significant changes or shifts that you've recognized that stand out in terms of your understanding of working with energy or the practice? Indeed. Um, and I would think that I view my journey with Reiki and I view my journey with learning Reiki. Obviously, it's something that is ongoing, right? We, right. we reach the first apex 
only to then learn we didn't really learn anything at all. So right. we have to climb it <laughs> yeah. again and reach a slightly <laughs> higher peak and we keep going and going. So I look back at my, at my practice with Reiki um, very much the same as, as somebody growing up, right? So when I first was exposed to Reiki, like I was saying at the beginning of the, the podcast, I could put my hands on my knees and it just felt good. And it was cool. Like I was like, Hey, I'm five, who cares? Like, so yeah. whatever. Yeah. And it was just kind of exciting and new. Right. And then I learned Reiki, like I took my first class in 2000 and whatever it was, six or whatever. And that was me kind of being like the teenager, like, hey, this thing that I just learned like five minutes ago, I can now use it to solve all the world's problems. And I'm a master of it. Okay. Yes. That's yes. But come back tomorrow when you find out that that may be not, maybe just slow down a little bit. And I had to learn that and I had to, you know, keep studying and I had clients when I was, you know, when I started to move away from teaching and, and I was still in kind of the late teenage years of my education um, in that I was still, there was a lot of belief, right? And I, and I look back and that's really beautiful. I'm not saying this to be condescending to, to the journey. I, I right. hope that people can maybe echo what I'm saying here on their own journey, because indeed, this is how we learn literally everything, right? right? We get a first glimpse and we think we've mastered it and then we get humbled and then we finally learn it. Yes. Right? yes. And what was humbling to me was the, all of the attachment that I had and the belief that I had and the feelings that I had that was really front and focused, you know, when I was starting off with my practice, when I had clients and everything. And that I think helped me to really dive further into releasing my health anxiety and overcoming those health issues because it brought so much up to the surface mm. that I had to face because I was attached. Yeah. Right. And once I started to release the attachments, then it was like, wow, I, what I thought I understood or what I thought I knew about Reiki just became infinitely more broad and infinitely more open and infinitely more aimless, if that makes sense. And that's really beautiful. That doesn't mean that I've, that I've grown or like I've made some depth in my practice. It just means that I'm a little bit further down the road. Yeah. Right. And that's one of those things that I find exciting about it too, is that you don't know how you're going to understand it from, you know, one day to the next. So it always feels like, um, like this never ending just experience that continues to expand, but I mean, you can't predict how, and in, even in the very subtle ways, a lot of ways that we can't necessarily articulate, not even that you'd even really want to, but just mm. the awe of what you recognize that you get to experience as you go along on the path. I mean, it's just, it's mind blowing to me. So this kind of ties right back into this journey that you and Inamoto Sensei will be hosting in Japan in mm. this seeking of or searching for the legacy of Yasui Sensei, because again, for so many reasons, we could say of, you know, why things were not fully presented to us here in the West when Reiki was first taught. And then over time, just the way things um, change in understanding or the passing down of stories and a lot being lost. So in this journey, what is it that you all will help people to reconnect with or 
start to come into awareness of as it comes to the legacy of Yusui Sensei? You know, I think I, I've mentioned it like this and I think it resonated. So I'll use it again. It's, it's imagine, um, you know, growing up Catholic, for instance, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. having the opportunity to go to the Vatican, right. Or to go to, yeah. to like Jerusalem and, and to, to be like, to go to the serpent mountain, to see like all of these things that it's like, Oh my God, I've read about this. I've prayed to it. I've studied it forever. And now I'm there. Yeah. Like it's giving yeah. me chills to say that yeah. because it, it brings all of the things into a focus as it were. Right. So why is it that Usui Sensei went to Mount Kurama to do his, in, you know, his fast, his 21 day fast? Why did he fast for 21 days? You know, there's significance to all those things that are maybe a little bit more obvious than what I'm going to be teaching about him when we're there in Japan. Um, but when you're actually there and you hear it and you can see it, then it's like, oh my, it's, that's incredible. Like it makes so much more sense because I'm literally right there at that moment. And that's what I mean about the, the kind of title of this, of the looking for the legacy of Usui Sensei. Why did he do those things? You know, like I'll go back to what I was saying quickly about my, my journey as a Reiki practitioner. That teenager, like discovery, like friction, right? Of like, I've discovered it. You didn't, but you did, but you didn't. You know, that like kind of friction. He <laughs> yeah. was going through much the same idea. I don't want to, you know, put words or stories over what his journey was because I obviously wasn't there living it but I'm saying this and paraphrasing it because his 21 day fast was to deepen his practice because he was reaching these blocks he couldn't figure out how to become a deeper practitioner a deeper monk you know deeper and more connected to pure land buddhism and stuff like that and the fast even mirrored that as it's rumored right it was it's discussed that even at the 21 day mark nothing had happened and then it was like that friction came up and it's like, well, forget it, then I'm, I'm done. And then the great Reiki came like right at the last. And isn't it always the case? Like right when we're about, it's always darkest before dawn, right? Right when we're right. about to give up, we get our thing. Um, and so when we're there and when we're at Usugi Gongen, where he sat for 21 days or rumor has it. And when we're in the old Meiji emperor capital of Japan, which is Kyoto, and we're surrounded by all that history and all the Buddhist influence and the Pure Land Buddhist influence in particular, we can start to see the roots of the practice and then everything hopefully will gel and solidify into a very understandable and accessible narrative, right? I think, it's not that I think, I mean, of course, this is how things work. It's as you get further away from the source, it's just like, what is it that, that uh, telephone game telephone right? yes yeah so the further away you get from the first person who's saying the message the more and more and more it gets diluted and twisted and whatever and now okay there's nothing wrong with that but when we look at reiki lineage for instance one of the you know kind of the difficulties in it is the further away your lineage is it's just that every one of those forks on the lineage is an opportunity for the teachings to have been changed Right. or manipulated, right. not manipulated, that's got a negative connotation, but just, you know, modified or taught in a different way or whatever. There's nothing wrong with those things, except for the idea of attachment mm -hmm. and belief, right? And so we can end up like the telephone game with a, a very different story than what we started with. Reiki as it, at its roots is a practice, a very simple practice 
No, it's not. It's a simple practice in theory of just letting go, just placing your hands and letting go. Letting go is the difficult part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, I have to ask you this because there are some people that are so drawn into this type of thing just because they may be, you know, um, more inclined to just want to simply know the history. Like some Mm -hmm. people just love to know the backstory and this and that. But I've spoken over the years to, you know, not a lot, just a handful of people who actually had the opportunity to go to Japan and go to Kyoto and all of these things. And each of them have a different story of how it changed them in some way, changed them in their understanding of themselves, of their practice, of Reiki, all the different layers. They all had a different um, experience and expression of that. So I, I was just curious of what even drew you to your first time taking this pilgrimage of sorts? And then does anything stand out as significant that may have impacted you for people just wondering like, well, and then what I learn about it, the history, but (laughs) what does it really do for me type of thing? Yeah. Right. What was your experience? My, my story with that, my, my experience was quite a, it's quite an interesting one. I saw Inamoto Sensei on a YouTube video a long time ago with Phyllis Furamoto, right? The granddaughter of, of um, um, Takata Sensei. And they were given, it's a beautiful talk, um, but there was one bit in the middle of it that really, it was just kind of like, wow, there's, a, I hope I can do something with, there was like an influential moment. I remember that it was just kind of one of those moments where everything kind of froze or whatever. I didn't know what to make of it. And true story, it was my birthday and my wife, we were in Hong Kong and my wife uh, gave me a surprise trip. I had no idea where we were going. I got on the airplane. I was trying to figure out like, I, I didn't want to know where the plane was going. I was trying to go as long as I possibly could without knowing where we were going. I made it all the way until the flight attendant said, you know, it's, it's a four hour flight to Kyoto, right? Oh, I was like, wow. oh my God, we're going to Kyoto. That's amazing. And then immediately my mind was like, I should try to see if I can contact Inamoto Sensei. And I didn't know him. He didn't know me. I sent him an email. And luckily we did get in contact. I, he invited me to the Reiki share at Komyo Reikido. And I'm saying all of this because of your question of like, how did it change? Like, what did it do right. for me? And I'll never forget this. It was as if all of my, it was like my luggage that I brought to Kyoto was my Reiki practice, right? It was like I was bringing all of this weight with me and all my beliefs and all that, like my background and my story and my suffering and my health journey and all that type of stuff. All of that was temporarily put aside uh, at Komyo Reikido when we did the Reiju. Okay, so it's, it's God, it gives me, I'm sorry, it gives me chills. It was like, it was this moment that was really transformative for me because here I was coming in thinking like, oh, the attunements are sacred. Like we can only do those after level one, two, and three, but here they are doing attunement every week. Like what's going on? And he, you know, he said, bow your head in Gashao. So I bowed my head in Gashao. I didn't know what was going on. And then I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. Everybody in the room was bowing their head in Gashao. And then only some predetermined, I think it was just, you know, week by week, it doesn't matter who does it, but a, a, a pre-selected group of Xi'an's teachers would get up into the front of the room and then they would go around and they would perform the Reju on individual people. So you can imagine a room of maybe 50 people, there's probably six Xi'an's, right? Wow. 
And this is why to me, like I'm, I'm smiling because I'm like, wow, I'm so it was such a little boy. I was so funny in that moment. I bowed my head and every bit of ego in me was like, I hope Inamoto Sensei does my attention. And then I realized in that moment that I was like, wow, if my head is bowed and I don't know who's doing the attunement, then that means I have to let go of even that idea that somebody is better than somebody else, because that's just all my belief and my ego and my attachment. And there was this, that analogy of the baggage that I was bringing in that moment, that that moment, maybe five seconds or whatever, it was like that baggage just evaporated. And I was just still, and I was like, oh my God, it's so much easier and deeper. And then my baggage probably came back. So you know, <laughs> it does. And I've been working to, to lighten that load ever since. And I think that's the, the most difficult bit is constantly trying to lighten that load of attachment. Mm-hmm. For me, that, that, was, was the, that was the game changer for sure. Well, that's the amazing thing of um, what we were talking about just a little bit ago. I saying like those little moments of evidence that we have that remind us, even if they're just, I mean, they seem to happen so quickly, but they're so deeply impactful and they change us in a way that, again, I mean, like, how do you even quantify or articulate how, but you know that it did. And so even when you move forward and you find yourself attached to a story and this and that, it's like if that awareness, if that memory comes back and then it's almost like you, you recognize the reason of why it would benefit me to let go of this story because mm-hmm. I had that one glimpse, that one moment of complete surrender and how it felt and what it taught me. And that's one of the things I'm so fascinated about too, because we do often get obsessed with knowing, like, give me all the information. Let me read all the books. Let me be able to say and sound like even I know it all, but then you have these experiences no book, no nothing. It's just you right. and your head bowed and gas show. And you have one of the most profound lessons in like a matter of seconds. That's what's fascinating to me yeah. about this work and this journey. Like, gosh, it's just, it's so phenomenal. It's so, incredible. Huh? Yeah, it's, it is. It's really incredible. And, but it reminds me of now that I'm saying this, that, that importance again of um, presence and awareness those types of things because we would miss it and a lot of times when we say these things of like okay in our practice we have to be you know present we have to be in our awareness we have to be non-attached all of those things can sound not even just daunting just kind of like what I don't get it why and right, even unconsciously, right. we're attached to our way of being because we're like, I mean, I'm fine. I mean, I'm here. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> 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 that you have a precious moment like that, that really just, God, it just amplifies why, even within the system of Reiki, what is it pointing to for me and why? And if mm. I can trust enough to try to surrender to that, no, no one can guarantee me or tell me exactly what it's going to look like and what I'm going to attain or if I'm going to become a baby Buddha. Like, no one can tell me. But can I just be open enough to see what it's pointing to and why I've even felt called to this in the first place? Right. Yeah, so I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Um, 
I feel like as your heart keeps opening on your journey, so to speak, like, yes, you know, as a five-year-old little boy and your hands on your knees and this curiosity, but as you have continued to practice over time, do you ever think or feel or just know like why you continue on this path or like what it is it's really doing for you at a soul level, so to speak? Like, do you ever consider like, well, what keeps me in this? What is it? What is this relationship that you've become so entwined with? I don't know how to answer that succinctly because yes, I, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of things that, that it's brought up to me. Um, yeah. I'll, I could say it like this, like that moment that that I was referring to and that you were you know very beautifully articulating on there in that moment of stillness where it's like if it happened even just once right right here's kind of an example of of the types of thoughts that come up you know I was told this in Japan when I was studying there um and it didn't make sense at the time but I think now it makes a lot more sense the seated Buddha is not anything but the perfect form of Yolanda or Bruce or everybody else on the planet, right? When you stare at a statue, and I think this is very interesting, like when we look at a, a, a crucified Christ, for instance, mm -hmm. we say that's Jesus Christ. No, that's you, right? We need to see ourselves because we are, we are the energy of the universe. We are the energy of all things. So we are Christ. In Buddhism, it's a little bit more like, no, that seated Buddha is you. It's the perfect version of you. So, you know, I'm very conscious that when, when we talk about these things of non-duality and all that type of stuff, I know that there's a lot of people who might hear that and be like, man, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. So I'm not even going to start. The way I talk about it is like this. It doesn't matter if you don't know where it is. You have to just keep practicing, just keep working, just keep going because you've already obtained it. Right. Because like when you feel it for the first time, and maybe you can recognize that you are that seated Buddha in that one moment, time and space don't exist. Nothing exists, right? Mm -hmm. So when you are frustrated and all of that stuff and practices are not going well, just like they'd happen for me, and I'm sure they happen for you. Some days it's just not a good day to practice, right? Mm -hmm. Other days it's easier. But when it's not going easy and all that type of stuff or life is difficult, somewhere on your timeline is you seated in your perfect awareness. And you're, and you're doing that right now. You're literally doing that right now because when you recognize it, nothing else exists. So that means you're always in that perfect seated awareness. We just have to come back to it. And that's why I'm saying that coming back to it bit, yeah. <laughs> that's the bit where I don't know how to answer that succinctly because there's a million different things. I mean, it's gone all the way down the, the rabbit hole of I, I'm, I'm now believing that everybody, that, that the entire universe everybody that I interact with is my teacher, right? Every bit of the external world is a reflection of what I have to work on internally. And that's not an egotistical statement. I think that's the same for everybody, right? Yes. And I view that as like now with increasing levels of gratitude and thanks for everybody, hopefully that I meet. And if I have, I had a bad situation just yesterday. I got angry at somebody. It was a, a, a transaction that I was a bit, you know, I didn't think was going correctly or whatever. And I caught myself and I was like, hold on, this is an opportunity for me to catch myself in a feeling of, you know, anger or frustration or whatever. 
this person is my teacher to, to show me what I need to continue to work. Cause why would I get angry at this thing? It's meaningless. Right. It doesn't make any difference at all. Right. And so if I see the world, like everybody's my teacher and I'm like literally like in the center and everybody's around me, like helping and helping, then it's so much gratitude and love and, and, and thanks to pour out to everybody for, for taking the time to help me. Like, why would anybody take the time to help me? Like, yeah, it's such a beautiful yeah, thing yeah. that everybody is doing. And that's what we all do to everybody. You know what I mean? And that's why I, 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 I could give a million examples of that. And like, again, those little breadcrumbs that come in meditation or encouragement to like, get back on the horse and keep practicing and keep going. Cause you're doing a great job. You know, all those little things. It reminds me so much of um, one of the things, one of the biggest lessons for me in this work was my choice in how I perceive things and even my choice in story. And again, if I want to attach to this is how I see it and this is how I feel and this, you know, versus like really reminding myself or if I'm not attached to this and I see it in a higher way. So to say, to your point, if someone's really pushing my buttons or a situation really is, if I recognize the person before me as my teacher, of course, I'm going to soften and have a deep compassion rather than being angry and frustrated in these things. And that is, again, I don't know. It seems like when we say it out loud, it just doesn't quite convey the impact mm-hmm. of, you know, the effect of it. But it is, it's, it's those things. I think about the practice that we know as Reiki. And again, like you said at first, I thought too, I was like, lay my hands. And I was trying to force this energy out of my hands. And I was like, that's what I thought it was about. And then continuing along and, you know, just having a different awareness, understanding on and on and on, but then starting to recognize the way that along the journey, how things kept evolving in such a way that then it started to change the nature of my mind and how I see but that was part of every part of my life it wasn't mm-hmm. just in session or if I'm you know practicing in gasho and da, da, da. like like that those encounters in life and I have to tell you really quickly I won't say the story but one of the most challenging encounters I, I, it wasn't a person in real life. It was on social media. And it was like when everything was erupting here in the United States a few years mm. ago. And one of the most disturbing, upsetting, I can't even describe it any. <laughs> it was hard. And I remember my initial reaction was like, you know, what we would just assume would be the natural reaction to that. And I had this moment, this quick moment of thinking, wait a minute. If what I'm practicing is supposed to help me to be non-attached and to recognize one and to do, I can't judge this person in the way that I am right now. I have to see this in it, but I can't, like, I'm just, I'm angry and I'm, I'm all kinds of things. And so I sat, I was sat in a meditation. I was literally like, just questioning how, how is this possible? How can you really have compassion and all these things, right? And to the point where like tears were coming out of my eyes. And I don't think I ever asked with more sincerity to understand. And it was just like you said, it was a blip. I mean, I don't know. It could have been two seconds, but there was this moment where I felt it in my entire body, just this complete, like 
I don't know. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like complete non-attachment, love and compassion for this person. Mm. Just all, all of these things, but in a blip of a second. And when I felt that all I could do still was just cry. Mm-hmm. And then as you say, like afterwards, and I'm like, well, yeah, but you know, but I still feel like, you know, here comes my attachments back again. But right. that one second of experience, I'll never forget it. And it just shows me what's possible. That was what helped me understand. I'm like, God, this is what, if I can just be diligent in my practice. Right. <laughs> the refinement, the refinement, it's possible because I got just the two seconds of it. It's okay. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's so encouraging. You know, anyway. I, can I add to that really quickly? Yeah. I think that's such a, a beautiful way to put it because it's, you know, like where I was saying, like, I feel like I'm in the center and everybody's around. Right. right. So is it that person that was, you know, being a bigot or being whatever they might've been? Yeah. Or was it that person helping you see resistance inside of you? A hundred percent. Yes. And it's so beautiful when we look at, because if we looked at the world like that, right Mm -hmm. then you start to see things in a different way you start to see like okay so there's obviously there's the war in in ukraine for instance right now right but what are people doing like what what if we drop all of the story then what are people doing they're you know people are warriors for instance to face their biggest fears right as well right and we this is like classic ninjutsu training it's like yoda and and luke skywalker right i mean it's like the whole thing you've got to face yourself everything that we have on this planet or rather i should say it like this this planet is an opportunity for us to literally experience anything we want right so like whatever it is you want to experience and try to heal from if we frame it in the way that you just so beautifully put it like yeah you're getting attacked or what if we build up our own strength inside of compassion and strength and fortitude so that that attack fades? Because isn't that how it always is? Yes. Right. As soon as you rise above, well, then where's the attacker? They just, they're gone. Yeah. And then it's and like, it, thank you so much. You just made yes. me better. You made me stronger. You, it's incredible. It's yeah, incredible, it was. But, but it's so funny to me because one of the things you said, it was so key and it was true. In that moment where I was like sincerely asking, that was what immediately came up was my own fear, my own anger, my own judgment, my own, all the things that I would have judged them for, my own version of that is what came into my awareness. Like, well, mm-hmm. look, you're judging them and you're, da, da, da. I was like, oh my God. But it was just even having, it was like so humbling in that moment to accept that my, my way of judgment, and th- like not trying to validate my own judgment and criticism and these types of things and really owning that it was no different than what I was seeing that was true oh yeah but it all happened like in a blip of a second and it was it was phenomenal but the one thing that you also just said was we have to face ourselves and that is again one of those things that sounds like okay Bruce whatever face myself (laughs) I know me (laughs) yeah but it is, it's like, it's such a gift. And I think a lot of times, you know, when we talk about healing and these things and what we may encounter, it may sound like, why on earth would I do that to myself? Why would I put, but it is, it, oh God, it is just so amazing 
what it is we start to recognize and realize right. in these little um, fragments of you know experience and time. So I want to come back to um, this trip to Kyoto. Mm. Just for a second, what just came to mind? Can you imagine, like Yasui Sensei did whatever he did for his reasons, and then this practice has has sustained over a hundred years now and here we are talking about this and the impact on us in such a it just bruce we need to have Incredible. like a 10-day yeah just like a 10-day conversation I know. I, know. <laughs> I know there's literally a million yeah. things that you and i could things. easily talk about i love it I love it. It's just like such a beautiful thing. Again, it reminds me of at the beginning when I said, like, I'm excited to hear about your journey, because although it may have seemed so personal to you at the time, look at what we're all learning from it, even in this moment. And the same with Yasui, no matter what his intention was, and even if he had the hope for it to, you know, change the world as he did, it's still, can you imagine that it really, the impact that it's having in the conversations that we're having yeah. now and now you're having this opportunity where people, even from wherever, the whole world, if they choose to come, they can come back to the roots of it all. Right. So can you share a little bit about, I, I just got chilled. <laughs> can you <laughs> share a little bit about, you mentioned um, going to Mount Karama, but can you share a little bit more about what people will um get an opportunity to experience and the lectures that you'll be sharing sure. while you're there. Sure. So, you know, the, the, the week long experience will be led by myself and joined with, with Inamoto Sensei, of course. Um, and that in and of itself to be able to learn and be in his presence is phenomenal. But on top of that, I'll be leading trips to Mount Kurama, of course, to Usugi Gongen, at Usugi Gongen, that's the site where Usugi Sensei had his 21-day uh, experience, his fast and his enlightenment, where Reiki is purported to have come from. Um, on Mount Kurama, both uh, uh, Inamoto Sensei and myself will be leading uh, attunements there and Reiki talks. We'll be giving tours of the mountain. And that's beautiful because we'll be able to then see what these roots actually are. Because when you start to understand it and you see like the religious iconography and the temples and so on, it's the mountain itself is not about Reiki. The first time I went there, it hit me when I was at the gate. I was like, oh my God, this is the mountain. Like it just, it's like this beautiful little experience. I just stumbled on a mountain. And then I recognized it was, and the monk at the gate, I'll remember, it's so funny. The monk at the gate, he was like, Reiki, what it? Oh yeah. There was, I think there was like a, that's like healing, right? And I was like, yeah, that's like Usui Sensei. Do you know who that is? He's like, I don't, I think some people come here for that. I don't know. It's, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that because it speaks to the whole, it's almost like if you're here just because you think this is about Reiki, you're missing the point, mm -hmm. right? That's what I loved about it. And you'll see that on the mountain, like when we're teaching about, again, the iconography, if it's focused on, well, I'm in Reiki and so I need to know about Usui Sensei then you can't find the symbols in the iconography where they actually came from because you'll miss the point. Right. You know what I mean? You'll be looking yes. for the grand yeah. picture when the detail is in the micro view, right? It's at the roots. Right. So we'll right. be there. We're going two trips uh, to Mount Kurama. 
and it's a big mountain, right? I mean, so there's temples everywhere. It's, it's an incredible place. Also, I'll be leading a trip to Mount Hiai, which is adjacent uh, to Mount Kurama. Mount Hiai is the, the birthplace of, or the epicenter of Japanese Pure Land Buddhism. And there is an insane story here. I'll try to make it really brief because I think it's worth stating. The Marathon, Mount, uh, the Marathon Monks of Mount Hiai. It's a practice that is sadly waning now, but the mountain itself is about 60 miles in circumference. Okay, so that's about 80 kilometers or whatever. It might be quick maths. Maybe it's 120 kilometers or whatever. I can't do that very quickly. But what they would set out to do is run around it a thousand times. A thousand times. So 60,000 miles. That's about three times the circumference of the earth, right? These guys would run around the mountain and they would have to accomplish that. I believe it was in three years, right? Wow. So you can imagine having to run around the earth once a year. It's insane. They would do this. And if they, at any point, if they couldn't complete the journey, they would kill themselves. Wow. So if they're running around and they'd break their leg or whatever, they would kill themselves. Okay. That sounds really, wow, that's insane or whatever. It's a practice of non-attachment, right? I'm not attached to the body. I'm attached to the journey, right? And so this is going to help me on my journey or whatever. So you, if you can accomplish that, that's incredible. Then they go on these insane fasts, right? Where they don't eat or drink for an, a crazy amount of time and they don't sleep as well. I think it's seven days of no sleep and constantly reciting a mantra. And they do this to get as close as they can to death, right? Mm -hmm. And they say that they face, again, they face themselves. They face every aspect of themselves and they come back after that journey. There's documentaries on this on YouTube and stuff. Everybody can watch it if you just search for the Marathon Monks of Mount Hiai. It's incredible. But they come back with such an acute awareness of the moment in life that they'll say things like, I can hear the incense drop off an incense stick on the other side of the temple. Wow. It's insane. So we're going to go there and see that history and see that practice and that devotion, right? I mean, it's, sadly, it's not that well practiced anymore, but it is still there. There's definitely still plenty of monks in residence on both of these mountains and study and everything. On top of all that, we'll have time in and around Kyoto. Uh, we will be at Komyo Reikido, right, with, which is the organization that Inamoto Sensei has set up for that Reiki share practice with all the Shians in, uh, who will join us on that particular practice in Kyoto. You'll sit that Reiju that I was talking about earlier, right, for that moment. Um, so anybody who's listening, and if you end up being there, try not to remember this while you're there so you can feel what I was talking about. <laughs> um, so again, just in immersing ourselves in the history of Kyoto, all of the temples, all of the history, the everything in Japan, and indeed, I think it's even personified in Kyoto, is a meditative practice. So the temples and the cleanliness and the order and the food and everything in life is a focus on the thing, right? So the flowers are arranged in a certain way, right? Everything is like, that's what I'm focusing on because I'm trying to be present for that thing. And if, you know, if people are listening from the West or if you've never been to Japan, that in and of itself is incredibly impactful to our practice. 
just yeah. seeing that yeah. attention to our practice. So on top of all that, there'll be teaching. So I'm going to be teaching a three hour course on the idea or the uh, discussion of non-duality and how it shapes or help, I guess, not shapes, I guess, takes away shape <laughs> from our Reiki <laughs> practice um, and how we can start to incorporate that and feel it and understand it, even if you've never experienced it, right? If we can start to, we have to learn to unlearn, right? Otherwise we don't know what we're doing. So the whole point of that is going to be recognizing the kind of the way of letting go in our practice. And Inamoto Sensei will be leading a three hour talk on the legacy of Usui Sensei, his roots, his background, his connection to Mount Kurama, because who better on the planet literally to speak about that than him, right? right? I mean, he's, he's what, two teachers removed? Is it two or three? There's two teachers removed from Usui Sensei and he's right from the lineage and it's incredible. So we're going to have that entire week just basking in that practice. It's, it's going to be a, I mean, you know, it sounds kind of a bit hyperbole and stuff, but it is, it's going to be a once in a lifetime experience for our Reiki practice. Right. And I'm asked this quite often, is there going to be another trip? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I hope so. I hope it's every year, but getting time for uh, both Inamoto Sensei and myself to be able to, to offer this um, has taken a lot of work right? And taking a lot of scheduling. So I, I can't promise that we will have this again. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, an incredible opportunity. I mean, obviously, again, I think anyone who's able to go, like, what a gift. And I'm sure just like what we've discussed, it will, you know, be life changing in so many ways, and mm -hmm. probably ways that people wouldn't assume it would be especially as you say, if we're going with the intent of just thinking it's about Reiki, but rather being open to just what the experience is overall and the roots of it all. Um, but then for those who can't attend, hopefully you will come back to the podcast after and share with us again what this journey was like. And perhaps, you know, if there is another that ends up being planned in the future, we Indeed. can hear more about that from you as well. But Indeed. this journey is set for May 1st through May 7th, 2023. And registration right. is already open for this. So could you share with everyone, um, and there's early bird pricing, right? That's right. So could you share right. with everyone how long early bird pr uh, pricing will last and where they can go to register for the trip? Yep, um, so early bird pricing is open until January 31st or until the trip sells out. So the um, the trip is capped at 30 people, right? Mm -hmm. And that's to ensure that it is going to be a small enough group that everybody will get the most benefit out of it as possible. Um, so early bird is open until either one of those um, are met January 31st, 2023, or until it sells out at 30 people. Um, and, you know, they'll provide a link where everybody can go, but you can just go to my site, rootsoflife.org. And then there's a link there that says retreats. If you click on that, you'll see the Kyoto pilgrimage right there for everybody. And on that page, you'll see the pricing, you'll see the details, all of the, uh, it still is a, a loose itinerary. The things that I've said are going to be covered. I just don't have them set by the day. Right. It's obviously dependent on weather and Inamoto Sensei and myself and how everybody's doing and all that. But that is all going to be a minimum of what we do, right? 
all of the refund and cancellation policies and all of the information is on that page as well. So everything you would want to see uh, or want to know about the trip is there. And another thing that I'll be doing with the trip is creating, you know, when the trip draws closer, creating a private Facebook group for everybody who is going on the trip. Now, obviously, the, this is going to facilitate communication and all, all this, but one of the big aims for that group is to really help take down the price of accommodation. Because the the traditional old style um, homes in Kyoto can very comfortably sleep, you know, six or eight people. And if people are happy to be in, and I mean very comfortably, you're in, you know, one or two rooms and four futons on the on the ground, but you're very, very comfortable. The floors right. are heated. It's incredible. So if people are happy to do that, then you could feasibly work your lodging price down to about 20 to 40 US dollars per person per night. So very, wow. very cheap. And, you know, there's a breakdown of, of rough costs. But if, you know, people are listening in the States, for instance, um, I would say that Kyoto is nowhere near as expensive as the West Coast or the East and is more akin to the prices that you Prices and I want to be cautious because things in, in the States are super expensive, huh? Oh, right goodness. Yeah, yeah it's that crazy. could be a whole nother podcast. <laughs> right. So I would say it's cheaper than anywhere in the US, right? You can yeah. get, let's say it like this. You can get a, a really nice mid-range meal where you will definitely leave feeling like, wow, that was awesome. Whatever food you want, yeah. sushi or udon or whatever it might be for probably... 12 us dollars wow yeah it's probably yeah. cheaper than chili's like getting a, a salad at chili's or whatever, or whatever it's cheaper than everything here okay yeah. it's cheaper than <laughs> it's a pack of bubble gum at this point yes yeah. exactly no but really truly it is at this point that's very true yeah. so this does i mean this sounds phenomenal and what a beautiful opportunity and um definitely want everyone to write that down rootsoflife.org and then click on the retreats tab and you can get yeah. all of the information. Of course, I'll have that down in the show description. But before we go, I also want to share about how people can work with you online because you also have courses available and people can learn directly from you as well. All of that is on rootsoflife.org. But could right. you share a little bit about um, what you offer in terms of teaching? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like I was saying earlier in the podcast, my kind of main archetype is a teacher. Yes. And of course, one of the guiding precepts of Reiki is just for today, I will do my work honestly. Mm -hmm. So as a teacher and wanting to, you know, always to the best of my ability, follow these precepts, I've developed my courses at rootsoflife.org, which for Reiki in particular, it's, it's Shodan, Okudan, and Shimpiden, the level one, two, and master. They're very in-depth. Uh, they're very thorough. But they, this is the feedback I get anyways, um, that they're very easily assimilated and digestible. Um, you know, I, I get a lot of feedback from my students about how I'm able to bring in a logical or a scientific discussion on the practice because everybody needs to have a different approach to their own learning, right? I mean, again, my career was like standing in front of 30 teenagers trying to yeah. teach them economics or like what black holes are. So I kind of had to have as many different ways as possible to keep their attention on me as opposed to TikTok. 
So, <laughs> so it's always a bit difficult, right? So you're like our very own Reiki Neil deGrasse. I know, but I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so it is that. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that that, you know, that comes out in my courses and, and indeed that's the feedback that I get, which I'm, I'm obviously very grateful for. So anybody who signs up for my courses, I have two different options. They're either self-paced or guided. The self-paced options are, and the guided option, it's all the same content to be clear. The guided option just allows the student and myself to come together live for, okay. you know, live one-on-one -on -one calls, which are spread throughout the course. And then that gives the opportunity to really have a conversation much akin to what we've had here, right? An opportunity to explore tangents and side questions and other avenues. And I get a lot of, uh, I work with a lot of people who are yogis, for instance, because I'm a yoga teacher or I'm a meditation teacher as well. I teach another, a number of different other modalities. And quite often people want to understand how is it that I can incorporate Reiki into my yoga practice? Or how can I use meditation to help, you know, facilitate shamanic journeys or psychedelic journeys or whatever. So right. I teach and practice all of those things as well. Stitching all of those together, again, is part of that kind of teacher hat that I wear. And all of the things that I offer on rootsoflife.org are things that I'm very passionate about, right? So I'm a psychedelic uh, plant uh, therapist, right? I've, and, but I do journeys myself all the time. I'm a breathwork teacher, but I practice breathing all the time. I meditate all the time. It's part of doing our work honestly, right? So yeah, that's what I, that's what I bring across. That's what I'm trying to offer. And, and, and yeah, I just love it because that's my main archetype is to teach and to share that with everybody else. And it makes me think again, that it's like, if everybody's looking at me, cause you guys are the actual teachers, then this is the least that I can do is like kind of give back, you know? So I hope that I'm giving back with every bit of love and authenticity and, and, you know, confidence and, and depth of knowledge in, in the courses that I can, and that I've accumulated with my teachers and on my own journey, because those things have been given to me with the same level of compassion and care and trust. And I hope that I can pass that along, not from the perspective of, you just learn this from me because I know all of this stuff, right. but from hopefully from the point that my students become as confident and comfortable with it as I am so that there is no chain so that it's just a continual flow of information. Right. So there's no forks in the road. Yes. You know, that's, that's I my goal. And yeah. That's what I aim to do at rootsoflife.org. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, really Bruce, I think that even from how, you know, wonderfully you shared just about your story and everything today, you get a sense of how <laughs> impactful without question your classes would be and how easy to understand. I mean, you explain everything so beautifully and it is di very digestible just in having conversation with you. So anyone listening, if you want to learn more about Bruce and his work, as well as if you would like to register for the journey to Japan to Kyoto in May, Go to rootsoflife.org and you can find all the information there. I'm going to make a personal request that one day you decide to study quantum physics. <laughs> quantum physics. Yes, because I was thinking, I don't know why when you said about uh, lineage, it just highlighted for me 
how interesting that we also have lineage that is um, not physical or biological, right? right. And right. just like this energetic lineage. Anyway, my mind just went in 20 different directions with like <laughs> and oneness and lineage and from this lens, I'm like, okay, so Bruce, if you could go ahead and study quantum physics and, you know, break down for us quantum entanglement and how this could all relate to this. Yeah. Boom, I'll do my best. Just a little request <laughs> from one of your teachers. No. <laughs> I'll do my best. Please, please. Yes. So <laughs> I absolutely hope that um, you will come back again um, just to have a conversation in general about this work because there was a lot that we didn't get to cover. Uh, but also after the trip, would love to have you back and hear about what that experience was like for everyone would, who was able to attend. Absolutely. It would yeah. be my pleasure. So thank you for having or making the time to come and have another discussion with me. I really enjoyed the one that we had during the summit. And for everyone watching, again, go to rootsoflife.org, get acquainted with Bruce Taylor, and all of the links are in the show description. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you so much, everybody. Okay, beautiful alchemist. Um, just like I said, you know, the conversation with Bruce was absolutely fascinating. And I want to thank Bruce personally again for coming, making the time to have this discussion with all of us here on Reiki Radio. And if you are interested in taking that trip to Japan, to Kyoto in May, you can learn more on Bruce's website, which is rootsoflife.org. Of course, that website, the link is down in the show description. But again, that is rootsoflife.org. And you can learn more about the uh, trip to Japan, but you can also learn more about Bruce's offerings, his online classes, his Reiki classes, and so on. And then I just want to remind you as well, especially because as we come into the new year, a lot of people, a lot of us um, start thinking about what our future plans will be, what it is we want to explore next, um, what we want to learn. All of these things start to come to the surface. So if you are interested in taking any of my online classes, be sure to go to my website, theenergeticalchemist.com. There are several different classes there from intuition, um, Reiki tools for practitioners of Reiki. There's a spiritual business development, ancestral healing, just you have options. And those are classes that you can start right away once you register. Or if you still want to join Alchemy of the Oracle, we just began that course last week. And so you have until the end of this month, the end of December to register if you'd like to join. And it's because I have to get your Oracle box out to you. So if you've been thinking about that, this is your final chance to join us in Alchemy of the Oracle. And I would love to see you to work with you in this live event. And aside from that, I just want to wish you a very happy new year. Thank you for joining me for season nine of Reiki Radio. I look forward to what it is we will learn and explore together in the year ahead. Um, yeah. That's really it. If you have any questions for me ever, anything you want to share, be sure to email me. You can contact me through my website. Um, don't forget to check out Bruce's work. All of the links for everything is down in the show description. And remember to always journey in love.